Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, November 3rd, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we discuss a new Iowa poll, uproar over a statement by college Democrats at the University of Iowa, Vivek Ramaswamy's latest campaign swing through the state, and Mike Pence's exit from the race. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette. And with me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Also with Lee is Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. That's the uh, Sioux Falls Journal, Aaron. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is here. Hello, Todd. Hello. You know, we should start like a Twitter poll or something that says, Do you, did you get Jared's uh, introduction reference each week? It just yes or no and see. Uh, that was one was outstanding. Thank you for that, Jared. All right. First up this week, uh, man, let's not tiptoe around the tulips. Let's get right to the heavy stuff. Um, Iowa Democratic Party leaders this week called for the resignation of leaders in the University Democrats at Iowa, which is the University of Iowa's Student Democratic Party chapter, after the student group issued a statement that expressed support for Palestine amid the Israel-Hamas war. And that statement included a phrase that has a complex history, uh, but has been used at times by anti-Semitic groups and individuals. Um, not all, always either. Um, the phrasing question is from the river to the sea, which is a reference to the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea and land that Palestinians were forced to move out of when Israel was formed in 1948. Palestinians and their supporters have used the phrase to refer to land that they believe they should be able to be free to return to. Um, so for many, it has an innocent and, and is an innocent rallying cry. Meantime, the phrase has been used by anti-Semitic groups as, as their rallying cry to eliminate Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League, for example, categorizes the phrase as an anti-Semitic slogan. Um, so, Todd, you're going to be the lucky one to field this one uh, for us. This is why you get paid the big bucks. Um, and none of us here is an expert in Middle East politics or history. Uh, so let's stick with what we do best and talk about the politics here on the On Iowa Politics podcast. Uh, so, Todd, my question is, what does something like this do within the Democratic Party? We, we've seen it all over the country. Younger Democrats, especially on college campuses, are vigorously defending Palestine uh, while party leaders and elders are walking a more, I, I don't know what the perfect word is here, let's say judicious line between ex expressing support for all innocent civilians, but also maintaining strong support for the state of Israel and the Jewish people. So the, there's there's something of a divide here and a split here and 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 the young folks and and we hear that this is now uh, the Iowa State University Democrats are joining in this as as I sit here uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, what is the potential impact of that uh, on the Democratic Party moving forward? I mean, young people are such a critical part of Democrats, you know, coalition and, and success. Yeah, I mean, when when you have a when you have a coalition, when your party depends on sort of a broad coalition that has sort of your, uh, you know, traditional Joe Biden Democrats, and then you've got young progressives who uh, feel strongly about, oh, in this case, you know, the, the Palestinians' right to land, uh, you're going to have you're going to have conflict, and it, and it could have an adverse 
effect given the importance of of young voters uh i mean you you know you've you've got people sticking with sort of joe biden's approach to this which is to stand with israel provide support including humanitarian support while also sort of decrying the 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 deaths of, of uh, not only israelis in a hor- horrific terrorist attack but also folks in gaza who are being killed in the in the war who aren't combatants so i mean it's this you know this is a this is a difficult issue and i think probably we have our can- first candidate for understatement of the year by the way yeah uh <laughs> it's I, I think probably the the main uh effect this will have is not necessarily on an election or the party i think this will give republican legislators the pretext that they need next year to really go after the state universities and proclaim them to be uh liberal loony bins and uh you know take action to to curtail their you know who knows tenure all of these things that they've talked about in the past i think this may make the universities their their next target i, I know republicans have already been making hay out of this uh so it doesn't it's not much of a stretch to imagine that that's what's going to happen but you know uh i'm not and i'm to some extent i'm torn about whether the iowa democratic party should have stepped into this and not just said well these are campus democrats we don't control them you know this is not and sort of reaching out to ask that to urge that their officers resign i you know i'm i'm not i'm i'm not sure that that's how those college you know college party operations are supposed to work they're not they're not controlled by the central party so uh, but, you know, I suppose Rita Hart decided she had to act because it was this was a pretty incendiary message that was being sent. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point you make there at the end, Todd, that, you know, this wasn't an obvious, necessarily no brainer move by the state party that to, to come down that hard on, you know, a, a chapter of of college Democrats. So it, it's it's interesting and and. I guess maybe speaks to um, how Democrats writ large feel they have to defend themselves on this issue at this moment, right? Um, that they that that they decided they. I mean, and I'm not saying right right or wrong there. I'm just saying it kind of illustrates how Democrats it seems like feel about this. Like they they feel compelled that that they have to rush out. And, and say as quickly and loudly as forcefully that they support Israel uh, anytime, you know, that there's a, a the hint of a suggestion to the contrary. Yeah. And, and you know, the president has, has received fairly high marks for his response to this. And so, you know, normally Democrats would, you know, maybe rally around the president, given that people like what he's doing but then you know i mean you've got this progressive wing of your party that uh you know doesn't see it that way so it yeah it makes for a it makes for a difficult situation i i i think biden actually is doing pretty well and they're they're just gonna have to pursue that policy and you know just uh you know 
take whatever they take from the from the left. Some something that really is going to be worth paying attention to that could have consequences electorally because I, I was double checking on this. Uh, Biden's support among uh, Arab Americans has uh, gone from fifty nine percent in twenty twenty to seventeen percent now, and. That could especially be a big problem in Michigan, where Dearborn, Michigan, per capita, has more Muslims than any other place in the country. And obviously, Michigan, kind of an important uh, state in 2020 and could be again in uh, 2024. So that that's one realm in particular, at least electorally, where this stuff could really matter. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And it's fascinating. And it's going to be. Uh, and again, and look, I, I in case it's it should be implied, but in case someone's looking to uh, try and get us in trouble or canceled here, obviously there are much more serious implications about what's going on in the Middle East right now. Um, we are discussing about this narrowly because this is what we do um, in our role. And and uh, I and I will say the one thing I can say as a journalist, I feel comfortable saying without. Um, you know, appearing to have bias in any form is this is as as Todd said, and I, I joked is the understatement of the century that this is a complex issue. It's unfortunately not having a camp complex public discussion, um, and and that's shouldn't be surprising, uh, but it's unfortunate nonetheless. May, maybe we'll get lucky and that'll change. Um, but uh, uh, regardless of that, it, it'll be interesting to see how this um, plays out with. Uh, you know, and and again, like I said, now we hear the Iowa State Democrats are are getting in and, and supporting their um uh, rare show of unity between Hawkeyes and Cyclones. Um, <laughs> well, and it, and it you know it's also going to be interesting in these congressional races if we continue with sort of the Republican House uh stand at this point, saying we're not going to send support dollars to Israel unless we get. Uh, money cut from the IRS. I mean, that's, and they've already reduced, and also they're not going to help, they don't want to help Ukraine. I mean, that's, if, if Republicans stick to those guns and aid to Israel gets bottled up, that's going to be a tough thing for their members to explain when they come back to their districts. Yeah. Yep. And obviously we'll be keeping an eye out for all that. All right, let's uh, get back out on the caucus campaign trail here. Uh, this past weekend, we got a new Iowa poll, which was same as the old Iowa poll, for the most part. Uh, the top spot in the latest Des Moines Register slash NBC News slash Mediacom Iowa poll looks awfully familiar. It's former President Donald Trump polling highest in the Republican presidential primary in Iowa by a wide margin. Trump came in at 43%, which is up 1% from the August Iowa poll. And his lead over the rest of the field is still a commanding 27 percentage points. And that's also an increase from the August poll. There was one noteworthy change in this latest Iowa poll in the race for distant second. Nikki Haley has surged, he said, using air quotes, to 16%. And in doing so, pulled into a second place tie with Ron DeSantis. Again, 27 points behind Trump. Uh, so let's look open this up to everyone, but Caleb, you can uh, have the first bite at the apple. Uh, what did this latest Iowa poll tell you about the state of the caucus campaign? Yeah. So um, digging a little bit into some of the other questions besides like the first choice, second choice deal. Um, one thing that I found interesting was uh, 
the the question about what which candidates or sorry which voters how how much they had made up their mind about their first choice um across the board that was easy for you to say (laughs) right right (laughs) yeah uh, across the board, that was 41% of people said they had made up their mind about their first choice. Um, but for Trump supporters, that was 63% said they made up their mind. Um, so if you look at like 63% of, of 43%, that's like 30, 30% of uh, likely Republican caucus goers are see themselves as locked into Trump. Um, for DeSantis and Haley, that number was 30% and 26% respectively of people that said of their voters that said that they uh were uh, had made up their mind about about that candidate. So, um, you know, we say often on this show that uh, the, these candidates who are running two dozen points behind Trump need to, uh, uh, you know, show a difference between him and pull support away from him in order to win. They can't just keep fighting each other because then you get um, the situation where he's still 27 points ahead. Um, so it looks like they're not doing a very good job of that because uh, of that high number of people who are really locked in Trump. And it's going to be hard for them to um, fight for that, you know, uh, smaller percentage of Trump voters who are interested in changing their mind. All right. Who else wants to get crack at this? Anything interesting uh, to y'all? Well, I I would just note, uh, I mean, this was the day before the, uh, the poll rolled out, but uh, when he was in Sioux City over the weekend, um, Trump was kind of talking about the state of the polls and said that uh, DeSantis's poll performance is akin to, quote, a wounded bird falling from the sky. Uh, so that was his assessment of uh, where things stood with the polls. And the only other person he really took a lot of shots at was uh, Nikki Haley, perhaps kind of sensing that she was uh, having her own little mini surge, as you kind of called it, Aaron. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how Trump uh, sees the polling right now. It, it would it would be it would be interesting to see, you know, what would happen if some of these candidates dropped out because the poll still shows that, a, you know, Donald Trump does not have the support of a majority of Republicans. So, you know, if Tim Scott decided that his all in in Iowa isn't working or if Ron DeSantis acknowledged that he he's peaked. And and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. If suddenly there were two or three candidates that got out and those folks went to Haley, it would be a far more interesting race. I I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think that's that's a that's a theory that's out there that people are sort of talking about is that you know if some of these folks got out of this, there might be a real contest for Trump. But at this point, it, it's not happening. Another thing I'll, I'll point out that is also kind of another classic on this podcast is um, the the issue of Tim Scott being liked by all, but uh, favored by a few. Uh, if you, he has like one of the largest um, for his level of, of prominence, a group of people that are actively considering him. He's got 32% actively considering, but only 7% who say he's their first choice. So, you know, similar to the problem he's faced, uh, you know, before is that uh, he's he's a lot of people have a lot of good things to say about him, but there are a lot of candidates they like uh, more than him. Yeah. And Tom, you're coming to us straight from a Tim Scott event. What was that like today? Yeah, um, it was um, subdued. Um, So. Uh, so he started off the day um, touring a um, manufacturer in Marion, and then he headed up to Independence for a meet and greet at a pizza ranch, which I just got back from. There were about 
50 people there. Um, and then he's headed to Decorah for a town hall um, this evening. But um, I, I asked him about the recent polling um, and essentially his response was um, that he, he still believes that he has a, um, a, a, a path to woo over Iowa evangelical voters in Iowa. He reiterated that he's all in um, on the Iowa caucuses and that it's essentially Iowa bust for Iowa or bust for him. Um, but he didn't, I, I asked him, you know, so what would be considered a win for you in Iowa? You know, what would you need um, to, to finish to uh, propel you going forward? Um, he wouldn't really kind of set the bar for him in, in terms of where he needs to come in with the Iowa caucuses, just that again, um, he still believes that Iowa provides uh, a good opportunity for him. Um, he 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 believes that his um, you know faith in America message um, is going to resonate with Iowa evangelical voters, um, and you know still is a proponent that um, his optimistic messaging will. Uh, better position him than some of the messaging coming out from the other candidates to, uh, you know, woo over, um, uh, you know, moderates, independents. Um, and one interesting thing he said, um, sorry, I'm just going through my notes here. Um, specifically talking about uh, Nikki Haley um, saying that uh, he feels that uh, she has um, a ceiling when it comes to support from never Trumpers. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, the, the whole all in Iowa thing, I know his campaign is stressing that and, and I'm not casting doubt on that as a strategy necessarily. It's just that he's not the only one doing that. I mean, right. DeSantis has been here not relentlessly, but pr plenty often. And uh, I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, who we're about to talk about, I just read earlier today, literally rented an apartment in Des Moines. So, I mean, it's it, it it's not uh, necessarily a novel. Pence was here all the time, and we're about to talk later about what where Mike Pence is in the campaign right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's it's well and. The, the other problem with going all in on Iowa, if you're not necessarily blessed with uh, all the resources in the world, is then there are other states that you have to go run in after Iowa get, gets done with. That's a good yeah. point. It doesn't end I mean, here. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of my um, thought about, as you said, there are several other candidates doing that. And I mean, if you look at um, Nikki Haley, she, I mean, there's a clear uh, path to kind of establishing herself as the the top Trump front runner or Trump alternative, because if she does well here and she keeps up her, I mean, she's already pulling better than DeSantis in South Carolina and in New Hampshire. So, I mean, doing poorly here could hurt those later states, but doing well here could just kind of propel her. But as far as Tim Scott, I mean, after, yeah, as you mentioned, after Iowa, if he just kind of gets three or 4% of these other states, there's not really a path there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it, and look, I mean, I get it. I know why they do it because it's worked. You know, they they're they're looking at Rick Santorum and and Mike Huckabee, uh, you know, and 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 um, seeing how that's worked for those types of candidates in the past. But uh, they didn't have a quasi incumbent in the field in their yeah. campaign years. So sorry, just just to add, I was just looking at, at my notes. So what um, Tim Scott said in in my interview with him. Um, is um, he feels that um, Nikki Haley is a little too moderate for the party. Um, and again, said that he feels that, um, you know, while the never Trumpers are going to rally around her, um, that he feels that there's a ceiling there uh, from the campaign's perspective um, and mentioned that uh, he feels or they see that uh, DeSantis is heading in the wrong direction and so he feels that that creates an opportunity again for his optimistic, positive message, um, and and conveying that to um, uh, Iowa Republican voters and, and specifically evangelical voters in the state, um, and then uh, hoping to use the upcoming uh, debate in Miami on November eighth to um, uh, again reiterate that optimistic message, but. Um, focus on uh, a contrast uh, between him and uh, Haley and DeSantis and um, talking about how, again, his, um, you know, optimistic messaging is faith in America um, agenda is kind of the uh, best path forward for, for the party. Yep. Well, we shall see. Uh, speaking of that race for second place, although I guess, I'm being more accurate. We're at this point talking about the race for fourth place. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was back in Iowa recently, and a couple of our intrepid reporters covered some of his events. Uh, Caleb, you covered Ramaswamy in Ames this past weekend, where he talked a little bit about the coalition he thinks he needs to build in order to be successful in the Republican Iowa caucuses. So so tell us a little bit uh, about that and, and maybe about the event more generally. Yeah, so he held some uh, campaign events at uh, college bars last week, including uh, in Ames and in, around Drake uh, in, in Des Moines. And he said he thinks that college students and young people at large will be vital to his efforts to win the, no uh, the nomination and to win the Iowa caucuses. Um, you know, he said that young people are a big portion of who he encounters at events and in phone banking, um, including people who are independents, who are not necessarily registered Republicans or even libertarians that have not um, participated in a Republican caucus before. Um, and so he thinks that, you know, those uh, voters are not getting accurately polled by, uh, you know, in these polls that are um, that, that are showing him with uh, in the single digits. And so he said, you know, if these people that he's encountering come out to caucus for him, he thinks that he would um, have a surprise victory. And he yeah. did. Uh, sorry, can I jump in there just really quick, Caleb? Forgive me. Um, <laughs> is that because young people don't caucus? <laughs> Maybe quite simply. Yes. Todd, Todd, you've been to Republican caucus in the past. How young are those crowds? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's a veritable frat house. It's, it really is. They're just so young. I mean, you know. And look, no, hey, it, I get, it, you know, it, it tends to skew. Well, you know, both parties tend to skew. Right, I mean, this right. is Iowa, which skews older regardless. But yeah, it's, I yeah. And you know, the I think it was the Iowa poll that showed that his negatives have gone up, and mm -hmm. so he's he maybe he may have had his fifteen minutes, but 
uh, yeah, it's not. I mean, I don't. You're not. You're not going to see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Gen Gen, you know, Z. Right. <laughs> At right. the Republican caucuses. And, and again, far be it from me, again, as I've said before, I, I am thus far winless in caucus campaigns. Uh, so I, I'm not the expert, but uh, based on what I've seen and know, uh, that that uh, I don't know about relying on that cohort to, to carry you across the finish line. So sorry, Caleb, uh, I interrupted. Continue. No, I'll just say, I mean, yeah, he and he was asked about um, that specifically, you know, how can you get them to actually come out to the caucus? And he didn't give a very detailed answer. He he said he kind of um, went to, you know, the things he often says about uh, young people are, are hungry for meaning and a purpose. And if we give that to them, they'll um, come out to caucus for us. Uh, you know, whether that whether that is a winning strategy remains to be seen. Yeah. But Making um, politics cool again or something like that. Isn't that part of that? It's, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as um, Todd had mentioned, or the, the, with the uh, another issue with, with the younger voters, especially college kids, is that January 15th date is the start of the new semester uh, in Iowa. I'm pretty sure at both Iowa State and Iowa and probably you and I as well. Um, so they'll the, that, that Tuesday is the is the beginning of the new semester. So they may be on campus, but, you know, you're going back and forth between home and campus. You maybe aren't registered where you uh, live on campus, so you don't really know where you need to go to the caucus. And so it can definitely be complicated, and I don't know how uh, successful, uh, how, how easy it's going to be to get those people to come out. Something else, too, is that, I mean, different party, but a big theory of the case for Bernie's campaign in uh, 2020 was turning out all these people who don't normally vote. And that can work for a little while, maybe. But I think we, like I said, kind of saw the limits of that uh, after a certain point. And it's hard to think that that's going to be different this time around, even though it is a different campaign and a different party. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's a good point, uh, Jared. And, and uh, uh, so you win, you win the conch with that good point. Let's stick with you here, because uh, uh, Vivek was in your neck of the woods also earlier this week. Did, did he make this similar pitch, or what did he talk about there? Yeah. Uh, so one of our reporters, uh, Dolly, covered him in Lamar's on Monday, and um, something he made a real point of um, was his particular form of. Um, conservative anti-interventionism, which he really has tried to stake a claim on in this race. He said, um, as your president, I'm not going to use your taxpayer dollars and I'm not going to risk our sons and daughters' lives to fight somebody else's war. Um, We'll use our military to defend our borders in this country, not somebody else's. Is there a risk in that? Yes, there is, but it's honorable because we're improving the lives of American citizens here at home. Um, So, like I said, he's really tried to stake a claim on that in the, the campaign, which has gotten him a lot of uh, detraction from uh, Haley and uh, Pence, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, he did mention Trump during his remarks, but uh, Ramaswamy kind of stuck to what he's done in the past, which is talking about Trump in a way that's critical, only in the sense of saying that like he, Ramaswamy, is capable of doing even more to further the America First agenda than Trump was. That's usually the only criticism he ever really has of Trump. Although he did also suggest, I should say, that Trump had been duped uh, by advisors and wasn't able to dismantle the FBI because of that. So, um, but he's even kind of talked about that before. So those are really the two kind of stock and trades for him when he's very lightly 
um, critiquing Trump. And then um, he did get asked about uh, Pence bowing out. And Ramaswamy said that uh, Pence did the honorable thing, um, which was surprising that uh, Ramaswamy said even that, considering how much he and Mike Pence went at each other uh, during the debates. Right. Absolutely. Um, what uh, it, it's kind of the time of year where it's, it's starting to get interesting to ask this. And it's why I asked Tom too, um, Jared, what was the crowd like uh, for that event? Um, well, from what I, uh, oh, I'm sorry, from, you, you, you said a colleague was there, not yourself. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but I, I still heard from, uh, them and, um, there were people, there were quite a few people there and there were people sticking around till the end too, to actually talk to Ramaswamy because that is one thing that he has done as much as any candidate, maybe even more so stick around to talk to people afterwards and to take any questions unprompted. Yeah, without a doubt. And the, and the other thing I will say about him, if, if you're just kind of a casual follower of all this, probably not many of you if you're listening to this podcast, but if, and if you are uh, on the more casual side, uh, Ramaswamy, more than anyone, he'll, he'll, he, he has the go anywhere, talk to anyone um, strategy, uh, and that includes media as well. Um, uh, so the, and, and he um, uh, follows through on that. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, so Stop. I'm not surprised to hear that. Some that uh, could or might or p- perhaps will get him in trouble because he uh, had a chat recently with uh, Alex Jones of uh, Infowars. So yeah, that, uh, I saw that, and and uh, he had an I, I think it was a new one with Pierce Morgan this week where um, uh, Pierce kind of peeled back, uh, did a nice job of peeling back the um, the layers of Vivek Ramaswamy's uh, policy and his quote unquote deal that he would arranged to end the Ukraine um, conflict and, and it essentially kind of revealed that he would essentially yield back to, to Putin, the land that Russia has, you know, invaded in this conflict. So, so that, that I guess, I guess that's why the, the, the comms uh, staff and camp came managers don't always love that kind of strategy. Right. Cause eventually say something that's uh, going to be unpopular. Um, all right. Finally this week, the caucus campaign trail got a little lighter with the exits of Larry Elder and more notably, former Vice President Mike Pence. The former VP's exit is certainly noteworthy, but I don't think anyone on this podcast would call it a surprise. Gang, please feel free at any point to correct me if you think I'm wrong. They're no. just, <laughs> there, you go. there just wasn't a path to victory for Pence really from the start of this thing. And that's, and that's not me even saying that because I think if that's not my punditry or analysis, it's me saying that's because what I've heard from Iowa Republicans over and over and over and over again this year. Um, uh, <laughs> we got Jared's thought there, Tom. Tom, what say you? Uh, Pence always faced a super steep uphill climb in this primary, didn't he? Sorry, I had to find that mute button. Um, he did, yeah. Um, and I think his struggle um, underscores just how much Trump has transformed the party. Um, you know, a former president in previous cycles, you know, typically would be seen as a, a formidable challenger in, the, in, in any primary. But as you mentioned, Pence just has struggled to find a base of support. Um, you know, it's... Um, it's it's interesting that you have a former vice president who, um, you know, at one point was um, Trump's most loyal uh, lieutenant, 
you know, only to be scapegoated during the final days of um, Trump's presidency and administration after he became con- convinced that uh, that the former vice president somehow had the power to overturn the results of the 2020 election and, and keep them both in office, which, um, you know, he didn't. You know, Pence averted a, a constitutional crisis by rejecting that scream, that scheme, but in doing so, you know, drew Trump's fury as well as the wrath of many of Trump's supporters who uh, still believe, um, you know, his lies about the election and, and see Pence as a traitor. Um, you know, and, and among Trump's critics, meanwhile, you know, Pence was seen as an enabler who who defended the former president and, and refused to criticize even Trump's most uh, indefensible actions. Um, you know, so as a result, if, if, if you look at polling, and I think there was an Associated Press um, poll back in August that found uh, the majority of U.S. adults, I think 57%, um, viewed Pence negatively, while only uh, 28% had a, had a positive view. Um, yeah, I mean, P- Pence's thing... Um... Like I said, just right from the start, you had the the people who liked him, the Republicans who Iowa Republicans who liked him, kind of like he had the Tim Scott problem. I like him, but he wasn't very many people's first choice. And then you had, to your point, Tom, a significant portion of of the Iowa Republican electorate that doesn't like him. Um, so yeah. they're just I really mean. Was- yeah, I mean, the reason I, I was so quick to say no to that point of not liking him is when I had to cover him in Sioux City, that was about the most hostile crowd I've seen for a campaign mm-hmm. stop for a candidate probably ever. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. So I it, it, I did the only the only way it maybe surprises me a little bit is it, it felt like maybe if he's stuck it out this long, he'd l- at least make stick it out through the caucuses. But but I was telling I I. I can't remember who I said this to Tom and, and uh, Caleb, maybe this was an email exchange among us or, uh, but I, I said, the one thought that I did have is if he wants to have any future at all, and I don't know if he does, frankly, but if he wants to, he can't stick it through the Iowa caucuses and put up a big zero or one. Right. Uh, and because that is the, the nail in the coffin. So if they saw that coming, then that's probably the reason you get out. So you don't have that. <laughs> score on your resume and and if you want to try again at some point maybe you still can i don't know if anyone wants to take bets on who's next but uh i think the the vultures are kind of circling for um asa hutchinson too uh i uh also this weekend um his campaign manager cnn reported um rob burgess uh left the his full campaign manager left the Mm -hmm. campaign because he didn't think he had a viable future and asa hutchinson wanted to stay in the race um, he only has a few people on staff and he also didn't, uh, uh, file for the South Carolina primary ballot, which yeah. I, I, mean, I just feel like if you're running a presidential campaign and you don't file for that ballot, that's a, it's a pretty big deal. He said, I mean, he explained it. He said, you know, it's a winner take all system. He doesn't think he's going to win. And so he, he, uh, you know, said this is the best way to elect non-Trump delegates, but I, it's mm. just interesting. Uh, it, it seems like it's a, a beginning of the end there. Yeah, he's he's the most we'd have to put odds on this because he's got to be the heavy favorite, right? I mean, Perry Johnson's out, Larry Elder's out, uh, Pence is out now. Um, the only other one I could think of would be Bergman. He actually 
went up a little bit in the, in this last I, I mean, we're still in and, the low to mid single digits, right? So I'm not. And Bergram's got plenty of money too. And he's got money. Throw yep. around. Yep. yep. Um, yep. This, uh, I wanted to share this because it was a gem from our weekend reporting of uh, Trump being in Sioux City over the weekend. Uh, this is a direct quote. Um, There's a very nice fellow, Al Capone. Did you ever hear of him? Scarface. He had a scar that went from here to here. Uh, and he didn't get that scar by playing tiddlywinks. Alphonse Capone. If you smiled at him the wrong way, he'd kill you. He only got indicted one time. I got four. I wonder if my father and mother are proud of me. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh, so quick vote. Is that better or worse or not as good as would you rather die by electrocution or getting eaten by a shark? Which one Which one do we like better? I think I like Capone better. I think well, I like the shark thing is The shark thing is pretty good because that seems like a genuine fear because – He's mentioned the shark thing more right, than once. Right? Like, you don't just say that unless you've had that th- thought. You've had that fear. <laughs> oh, man. If you've never experienced one, uh, folks, uh, a, a Trump rally is, is something to behold. All right. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, if you're not already, please be sure to subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts, and uh, as a reminder, you can also catch the podcast each week on your preferred Gazette or Lee newspaper website. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. I'm going to abuse my hosting duties on the way out here and uh, make a personal plea if you're in the Des Moines area and you love uh, seeing uh, young uh, kids doing uh, amazing things, come out to Altoona and Cap Theater and see The Wizard of Oz over the next three weekends. Uh, They got some moron to volunteer to direct it and and despite that, the kids are putting on a great show. So so come out and support them if you're nearby and, and think that would sound fun. All right. Dead Larry will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.